John, we're going to have our first guest ever on the show. Very excited. Dave Roberts, one of our favorite managers. Both you and I agree on this one. We love him. We can't wait to talk to him today. Yeah, then we're going to talk about some managers we do love, some managers we've hated over the years, and we're going to talk about that exciting Astro-Yankee series from over the weekend and what it meant all on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. John, the uh, baseball playoffs came to New York in June over the weekend. I, I actually put on Twitter that the Astros and the Yankees have become like the Red Sox and Yankees were for years. It's not just the talent uh, mm. and the drama, but like there's no such thing as a normal game between these two teams. They're all epic. What stuck out to you this weekend? What what are you going to carry yeah. for the rest of the year, considering we, I probably think they're on a bit of a collision course yeah, for, again, for October? I mean, I think everybody thought that was a... ALCS preview, Yankees and Astros. I mean, we've all watched the Yankees this year, and they've been amazing. They're on a record pace as we do the show. Beat the 2001 Mariners. 100, I think they're at 117, 118 win pace. But when I saw the game that I saw, and the Yankees did win the game, uh, and watched the whole series, I'd be concerned about the Astros. Now, I, I picked them at the beginning of the year to win. I think a lot of people did. That isn't a great pick. I mean, everybody knew this team is incredibly talented, but to watch them, to see what they did, even though the series was split, I got to be nervous if I'm the Yankees. Look, the Astros eliminated them in 15 and 17 and 19. You know, the Yankees have to ask themselves, do they have a Houston problem? I mean, Houston's really good. I know they got to the, the Yankees got to the uh, bullpen a couple times, but to think of that rotation, and we saw Javier throw seven innings of that great no-hitter, and then Urquidy was awfully good also in his start. He was at six and a third no-hit innings. Those are their four and five starters as we talk about this right now. And, of course, McCullers is on the mend. Um, I'm th- hearing August for him. Odorisi on the mend. I mean, this is a team with incredible starting pitching depth, and their bullpen is good as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned McCullers. I was at the combined no-hitter. Like, I've now seen two Houston no-hitters, combined no-hitters against the Yankees at two different Yankee stadiums. Uh, you know, it's like clockwork. Every 19 years and 14 days, a bunch of Astros no-hit the Yankees. <laughs> and it do- did stand out to me, like, during that no-hitter, that before the game, Lance McCullers had a simulated kind of game against a couple of yeah. the Astro hitters. And as we know... Going back to 2017, he's one of the reasons they beat the Yankees in that ALCS. So I'm with you, John. Look, I think that it's going to be two heavyweights if they get to each other in this. The Houston starters in this series held the Yankees to an 080 batting average. That was seven hits in 27 innings. Conversely, the bullpen, 12 walks and three homers in 47 batters face. 12 walks and three homers. So that's clearly an area, especially if they could find, you know, you think about the history there. They once traded Josh Hader. Right for uh, Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires, what a thing! Right, they got Mike Fires, what that meant historically. 
if they had a top-notch lefty reliever, it feels like it really finishes that team. You know, they have a good pen. I mean, their bullpen had the best numbers coming into this series. I'm not sure they still do, but uh, Stanek, I threw 101, and he's not even the closer of that team, right? Presley's the closer. They have a very good bullpen. Uh, their pitching is outstanding. I mean, I talked to a Houston person. I mean, I think he's being nitpicky. We could use another arm. He's talking about center field. Maybe we could use something in center field. Do you field. think they should replace Yuli Gurriel at yeah, first base? Yeah, that's a Like, are they a Josh Bell team? Like, do they get a lot better if Bell is playing for – like, like Gurriel's proved yeah. to be a championship-level player in the postseason and everything, but he's real – for an offense that's terrific – he feels like the weak link in it right now because yeah. they're always I mean, going to have a weak link in catcher. Right. Their offense overall has not been as great as we expected this year. Obviously, Bregman's not having the year that you'd expect. Catcher is kind of a, a defensive position for them and black hole offensively. Maldonado, fantastic defensively. I mean, the guy I talked to thought they needed a catcher who could hit a little bit better. Thought he needed need a center fielder. He did not talk about Gurriel, but, I mean, he won a batting title last year, right? Yeah. We're giving up on Gurriel already. I think they have room to give him a little more time to see. Obviously, the deadline's not until August 2nd. If he's still hitting 220 or something like that, a month from now, I think that's a discussion because uh, he's obviously not producing, and their offense has not performed like anybody would expect to this point. You know, John, when you and I were much younger, we remember there were a bunch of years where the Royals couldn't get over the Yankee mountain, yeah. and then they finally did. The Yankees are going to have to do this with the Astros in the postseason in that I way. I mean, we should take out from this. You know what it felt a little to me like, John? And we sat next to each other during this was the 2001 World Series, where after six games of that World Series, you could could have convinced yourself that Arizona should be leading six games to none, and it was 3-3, three to three, and the Yankees were actually winning going <laughs> to the ninth inning of Game 7. The Astros, like, dominated most of the innings of this series, and the Yankees did find a way to win two of those games. So what do I take out of it? Do I take out of it that the Yankees have some poise now against the Astros and will fight them to the parking lot in the final out? Or that this Astro pitching, especially that starting pitching, is really going to be able to hold them down? Yeah, and yes, the Yankees are the best team. I don't think there's any question about that. They're they're incredible. Those three home run hitters, Rizzo, Stanton, and obviously Judge, who's been the best player in the league, I mean, that's huge. You know, they can have defensive positions, and we know that Trevino's done well, and Kiner Falefa uh, chips in some offense. Um, I think they have the best team. The question to me is whether they can beat Houston. We've seen this, you know, I'm a little older than you, but you've seen it too. The Yankees have certain teams they just dominate. Minnesota is the most obvious. Minnesota can't win a game against them in the playoffs. This has been going on forever in terms of the regular season and the playoffs with Minnesota. I feel the same way with Cleveland, the White Sox. I'm just wondering, does Houston have their number to some degree, or is Houston their daddy? I know that's rude to say about the Yankees, but, I mean, look, three times they knocked them out. I mean, throughout 17, I guess. But this has been a Houston era to this point. Yankees need to get past them. I think it's more of a, you know, it's hard to say with the Yankees, Teams are intimidated going into Yankee Stadium. Teams are intimidated against the Yankees. Do the Yankees lack a little confidence against Houston? I think that's a question. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the daddy thing. I was thinking about that with uh, Altuve. Like, do the Yankees have to, like Pedro once said about <laughs> the Yankees, that it was their daddy. I wonder if they have to say it the other way. John, you know, I think in that series, we would say two people managed who we both really like a lot, right? Dusty mm -hmm. Baker and yes. Aaron Boone. We're going to have Dave Roberts on our show today, and that gave us a chance. We've got over 70 years of combined experience. How many managers 
have you covered over the years? I'm a little bit more than you because I covered the Angels for three years. So I've got 19 man. I got, well, I'm counting Buck uh, twice, I guess, but 19, I ca- I counted, 19 managing yeah. stints. Yes. I counted Buck twice and I counted Dallas Green twice because yeah. my first year covering the Yankees as a beat was 1989. Dallas was there eventually before Bobby Valentine managed the Mets. Do we both get to count Carlos Beltran or not? No, I, I didn't. Ca- I mean, no. in theory, he was a manager no. in New York. No. We, we covered his hiring. Okay, so then I'm at 16. Why don't you tell me, why don't we start nice? Who was your favorite guy to cover in that group and why? Overall, I would say Valentine. He was fantastic to cover. I mean, he's just very smart, insightful, good, funny guy, available. Overall, I'll go with Valentine. But I was going to say my best, the best and the worst at the, at the moment. To me, the best for me is Buck Showalter now, and the worst was Buck Showalter then. And I don't know if it's me or it's him, but uh, he's been great. You know, I think people have said that he's mellowed some. I think that the trouble he's had is mostly with bosses. You know, he's, which I I think that that's better than than treating the people who work for you or the writers or whatever poorly. It's better to be good at managing down than managing up. And I think that's the problem that he's had in the past in Arizona and Texas and in Baltimore. So, I mean, I like the guy. I admire the guy. I struggled with him when he was the Yankee manager. You know, he was a very smart guy. I thought he was a little manipulative at the time. A little? A little. <laughs> you know, I remember one story. I'll tell one story here. And we were in Milwaukee, and uh, I said something critical, a little note about the bullpen, about how there's some usage of the bullpen. And uh, when I walked in, and you remember that clubhouse, that awful clubhouse at County Stadium. Yeah. Where the, where the guy no used ma- to mix the tuna salad with his hands <laughs> as he was sweating. Mm. I, that I didn't remember, but I remember. The, was there no manager office? I don't think no. it, The manager had like a, a, a like, locker like yeah. everybody else. It's, it was a little unusual. And as soon as I came in there and he, he looked at me and he said, Monk's really mad at you today. I'm like, Monk? Monk's mad at Monk, Monk Meyer, yeah. who was their bullpen coach. Right. He was like 100 years old, <laughs> a chain smoker. Had pitched he for the Brooklyn did Dodgers, not, right? He certainly did not hear what was written in Newsday while we're in Milwaukee. There was no internet back then. And even if there was, Monk Meyer wasn't going to be on the internet. So he gave me the Monk Meyer was really mad at you. It was him, of course. He didn't like me criticizing uh, the pen. He had these little hints. That he, I remember he did that to you once, but you you took it better, and you always got along with him. No, I'll it, tell you the story. Was it the Paul O'Neill one? Well, Paul O'Neill. Well, Paul O'Neill, right? Yeah. You wrote something critical about Paul, Paul O'Neill. O'Neill yeah. And I'm out on the field, In he's playing long toss in Oakland. He goes, he, I had mentioned that. It, it is interesting historically. Paul O'Neill didn't run hard on ground balls and somehow became the warrior. Like, that was always interesting to me because he, he stared at a home run he thought was a home run in Cleveland in a playoff game, then turned it on and made a dive into second base. By the way, trotting to first base and assuming a home run in that situation. Always interesting. And I wrote something, like, they were in a bad period and like he needed to be more of a leader kind of guy. And I wrote something and he goes, and he said something like, well, I guess if I'm not a leader, you, I shouldn't even talk to you. And I said, well, that's interesting. Like, remember this is pre cell phone, pre the internet. I'm like, how is it that you know that story existed (laughs) since we're here in Oakland? And he goes, Oh, there was a copy of it in my locker. And I said, you think I put it there? (laughs) And he said, no. And I said, well, I would wonder who put it there because that person probably wants to send you the message, but is okay with me being the son of a bitch in this situation. So, but yet, if I were playing my favorite manager to cover, I actually think this version of Buck is better also because he has so much less paranoia or intention around him. 
But I could never thank Buck enough in that period, that six-year period from 90 to 95, which is my last six years on the beat, where he was a coach for two years and then the manager for four. He just really let me in to understanding how he thought about things. I remember you guys used to make fun of me, right, on the road. The, oh, yeah, I, we I, always did. You're yeah, right about right. that. Like, uh, you knew that? Saturday, <laughs> I got hired at the Post when we went to a Sunday paper to actually be an investigative reporter, and the Sunday paper went away quick, and I became the Yankee beat writer. But I would still go to the ballpark on Saturday, and you guys would make fun of me. You're off today. Why are you here? And one of the reasons was after the game, after everyone cleared out, I'd sit with Buck in his office, and I'd say, like, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And the relationship was, I don't want to write about it. I just want to understand how you think about it. Bobby Valentine would let me do that also. With Bobby, I had to say, Bobby, I am not challenging you because you know how Bobby was. I swear, Bobby, I am not challenging you. I just want to understand it. And Bobby was good about that kind of stuff. Let's flip it around. Who's your least favorite guy you've covered in these three-plus decades? <laughs> um, before we get to that, there was a lot covered there. I didn't realize that you, you knew that we made fun of you all the time. That's good to know. John, I'm a pretty good reporter for the hell of it. <laughs> The, I think the, the time we really made fun of you is when you went running with Stump every uh, Was it every, yeah. once a week or well, every day? or uh, what? Like once a road trip. Yeah, I would it turned into a great story, right? Didn't you get a back page story? Yeah, about how he, he admitted what, what, how, the, how much the, he had been drinking. Right. Yeah. And it was, what the Yankee it? Sipper that was, was the great, back page. That was a great back page. We have a Sunday paper, by the way, now, right? You yes, we went know, back to a Sunday paper. I want to correct that yes. just to make sure everybody knows. We had one. It went. Away. We didn't have one from Alexander yeah. Hamilton until 1989. We did have one. Then we quickly yeah. didn't have one. We have one again. Well, you covered a lot there. Also, I thought the warrior was because he always smashed, that Paul O'Neill always smashed the water cooler. Oh. I'm not sure why he's the warrior, but it stuck, and the nickname paid off, and uh, good good for uh, him. But, uh, yeah, Buck was uh, a little manipulative, but I think that was a great a great learning experience for you and, and for all of us. I mean, yeah. the guy is a baseball Genius. I feel like I mean, it was the a guy PhD is, program. Yeah, like there is nobody who knows more. I mean, we've seen that this year with all the rules and all the challenges and everything else. Go the other way. Who's your least favorite? <laughs> My least favorite to cover was probably I got. I probably say Girardi, and I mean, I'm sure that's your least favorite. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you know, I, I at least on the surface got along with Girardi. We had that Northwestern thing going a little bit. He was tough. He was available, but it didn't feel like he wanted to be available to me. I, I don't know. He didn't. It didn't come off as genuine to me. Um, so that's probably because he wasn't genuine. Well, that, I don't want to say that. I mean, you just people, did say that. Some dude. people are listening. I said he didn't come. Hopefully, off a lot genuine. of people are listening. So anyway, I would say I'm looking at my 19 managers. He's really the only one I would say. And of course, I, I the first the first go round of Buck, and since since then we worked together. He's fantastic. He's I've covered him with other teams. All good. But my first go around with with Showalter was not easy. But I'm going to have to go Girardi, and I know I'm stealing your thunder here because you... you Yeah, I'm not going to go Art Howe as boring as he was or Bucky Dent, even though he'd say Jizo Peep, whatever that meant when he ever was answering the tough questions. You can't get mad at a guy for that. Bucky Dent's a very nice man, and so is Art Howe. You know, Girardi bothered me because he treated every piece of information like it was classified, treated you constantly like the enemy. There was the combination of condescending and sanctimonious, which he was good at. And I always thought the shame of it was, the shame of it was he wasn't Art Howe or Bucky Dent. He was a great baseball guy. Yes. Like he was very bright. And I thought he had a lot to offer. And by the way, when he worked at the network, you'd recognize that, right? Where he was a little looser and you kind of like, he let you in a little more. And you know, like 
there was just, look, me and him had a lot of fights. I did literally his introductory press conference. He yes. described the Yankees as his dream job. And I said, well, if it was your dream job, why'd you keep negotiating with the Dodgers <laughs> to the very end? And he started getting upset and walked away from me. I followed him. He wanted me to stop. And I'm like, you know, like I currently live in America. I'm going to keep walking and following you, uh, you know. And uh, yeah, no, there were there were a lot of issues. I love I'll, that. I'll give you one. You thing. always played the heavy. I, I enjoyed that. And I, I'm thanking you a little late for that because this is now 15 years later, probably. But thank you for playing the so heavy he with, he... with Girardi there. I personally, now that it's 15 years later, I mean, I thought that question was very answerable. Even if it's his dream job, he's allowed to talk to somebody else. That's fine. He, I mean, he didn't answerable it, John. No, he didn't that was answer. the part of it. He should have answered. And and he so I'll give you one line that he used to use that I thought was exemplified him, which was he'd always say when he wanted to shut something down and say like, "Why did you do this?" He goes, "It was best for the team." And finally, like I would start challenging him, I go like this: "It isn't best for the team. You think it's best for the team. That's how you should phrase that. Now make a case why you think it's best for the team, <laughs> right? Like simply saying something is best for the team and we're done. What do you, you like? Some omnipresent person? You know what's best for the team? You think it's best? It is your job to do what you think is best for the team. It's my job to try to since they're not letting a couple of million fans in here today, and I think they'd be interested in this subject. I'm asking you why you think it's best for the team. Yeah, it, it was frustrating." Frustrating to cover him, and it's probably frustrating to answer all your questions too. But I appreciated it because you did play the heavy, so uh, that was great. And he he was the toughest. But I mean, looking at the 19 managers, I think I've been pretty lucky. You know, they've all been available. Generally, it's not so bad. I will say this: I've covered some really bad managers in terms of their skill. Yes, thank you for the word. <laughs> You're right. I mean, Bucky Dan Alley got him for 49 games, so I it's hard to make a judgment, but didn't seem to be a major league manager at the time, you were shaking your head agreeing with me. You know, Art Howe, which we knew at the time, that was an Remember insane hire. I mean, like just there because were people he had on a the good West record with the were, A's. There were people on the West Coast, me and you were so critical in the newspaper about the hiring, and people on the West Coast were like, oh my God. And I'm like, you don't see what we see? And then, of course, he came here and everyone saw it. Well, there's a case of a tin ear because it was obvious to all of us that Art Howe was... He was the Joey Gallo of managers. He, was he shouldn't long, have been here. He was along for the ride with... Well, that's... We'll see. <laughs> it's okay. One, are you like a West Coast time over here that you didn't get that joke originally? I had to like, wait for Andrew to start giggling. Oh, um, John, I think we've said enough bad things... About Art Howe. About managers in general. We we but do have... I still can't believe that he was the uh, he was the manager. And they gave him a $10 million four-year... Remember, I, he lit I up the room. not believe That was the it. quote from Fred Wilpon, why they and, hired him. He right. lit up the room. I, I can't imagine how he could have done he that. Could, nice man. He wouldn't and have lit I, up a room right, full of the Amish. We trashing a nice man. But he did get his $10 million. I'll take a trashing for $10 million. But... Yeah. To me, he's one of the worst that I that I covered. Obviously, Mickey Calloway was a mistake. We know that. There were there were a number of mistakes on this list. I nicer got nicer guys than qualified in a lot of these cases, but we've covered some great ones. Valentine Girardi, as much as we really don't love the guy, and certainly Buck Showalter, who is fantastic as a major league manager. Yeah, Aaron Boone's resume is getting better and better all the time. Really also, good. and one of the best resumes in the sport belongs to the person who will be joining us next on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and that's Los Angeles Dodger manager, Dave Roberts.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We didn't want to have just anyone as the first guest ever on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. So we're picking the person who, if you don't know this, John, has the best winning percentage of any manager since the end of World War II. I did. And any manager overall who's managed 900 games, and there's over 150 guys who's done that. That's the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Welcome, Dave Roberts. Thank you so much for joining us. Joel, John, uh, this is going to be fun, man. I'm honored. I'm excited. Uh, you guys are literally uh, two of my favorites, uh, just as much as you guys love baseball. And I- I'm really uh, looking forward to this uh, conversation. And congratulations to both you guys. Oh, that's nice of you, Dave. At the moment we're speaking, your team is averaging the second most runs in the major leagues. It's giving up, on average, the second fewest runs in the major leagues. It's top 10 in the major leagues in defensive runs saved. It's leading the NL West with the second best record in the National League. You've got a one and a half game lead. And yet, Dave, I've got to be honest with you. Every time I watch your team, I'm like, what's wrong with the Dodgers? And the numbers say there's nothing wrong with the Dodgers. Is there nothing wrong with the Dodgers and I'm just holding you to too high a standard? Or do you even feel like this isn't a team clicking the way we expect this team to click? I think it's more the latter, Joel. I don't think that we're clicking. I mean, I think that certainly... Uh, you can look at the roster, you can look at the back of the baseball cards and certainly the run differential, but it's like each game, I just think that with the offense, there's just been inconsistencies in performance. We got shut out last night at Coors and obviously there was a late get in uh, the night before, which I still don't want to use it as an excuse, but I still think that I'm okay. And I think the players are okay with being held to a certain standard and that's sort of part of it. Dave, I want to ask you about Los Angeles. One of my favorite places on earth. I love Los Angeles. It has the reputation of being kind of laissez-faire, not that emotional about the games. I think that's wrong. I mean, you're you're from San Diego. You went to school at UCLA. You played for the Dodgers. You're now the Dodger manager. It feels like you're criticizing. I mean, Joel read your stats. I mean, you're one of the best managers in the game and all time. And it feels like you're over-criticized to me. It feels to me like Los Angeles has the wrong reputation. I think it's a much tougher town than people give it credit for, if you want to call it credit. I mean, it seems like you take the criticism well. I mean, I was there when uh, the president of the United States criticized something that you did, and you took it very, very well. You deal with it beautifully, but how do you feel in L.A.? I mean, people say it's not New York or Philadelphia, but I feel like it is. You know what? It's interesting is I think so. Obviously, when you talk about New York and Philadelphia and you talk about the expectations that the media, the fans – Uh, have for the players and management and head coaches or managers. A lot of it is accountability. And I think for me, I think that and how you play the game and also obviously, like I said, accountability. And I, for me, think it makes you a better manager, a better player because you're held to a certain standard um, in the Northeast. I think the West Coast has a bad rap in the sense of the laissez-faire. Certainly with our ball club, with the way we play the game of baseball, I think the criticism a lot of times, Joel, comes from 
people that if something is done differently, I think that people have a hard time adjusting. A lot of the things that I kind of was criticized for, and baseball is doing that now, but you can't certainly, it's hard to change a narrative that's already kind of embedded in who you are. And I've learned to sort of live with it. And uh, I do know that the industry appreciates what we do. My players respect me, myself, and my staff. So, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. Not not that you need it, but like six for six in making the playoffs. You're in your seventh year as manager there. You won the division title the first five years. When you didn't win the division title, your team won 106 games, tying the franchise record of the 2019 Dodgers, by the way, managed by Dave Roberts. Managing is always difficult. You were mentioning some of the offensive inconsistencies. I always think perhaps the toughest thing to do for a manager is manage the skilled player as he ages and is not as good as he once was. And sitting right in the middle of your lineup is Justin Turner at age 37, I believe, not having a good year. Do you think he's had a bad couple of months and you're going to get Justin Turner? Or are you going to have the difficult managerial situation? You won a championship, by the way, the first one since 1988, with this player as a key guy. He's been as key as just about anyone. What does the manager of the Dodgers have to do with this player? There's a tough question. That a baby, Joel. Um, no. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out all the nice things, Dave, with I the softball. So, no, yeah. That was a good segue. That was nice. Yeah. Um, no, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you, managing a player, a star player who's aging is very difficult. Is one of the toughest things I've had to do in my tenure. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez, who is a very good friend of mine, Andre Ethier, uh, Matt Kemp, uh, Albert Pujols, and now you're talking about Justin Turner. It's threading the needle, um, and it's a very – small hole because what the player has done for you, for the organization, you still believe in the player. And in one particular moment, a particular game, I trust him and I trusted those guys, but performance certainly matters. Uh, He's, I think he's third on the team and runs batted in. And that's a statistic I still believe in when there's a situation to drive in a run, I believe that he can do it. So I also feel Joel is that you also have to have a solution and the way that our guys have been swinging the bat as far as consistency, you have to have somebody that you can feel that can supplant Justin um, and do a better job. So that's kind of where we're at right now. But as far as the player, the person, I certainly am guilty of probably being slow, slower moving than most people might, might think. Yeah. We heard what Joel's concerned about. I was going to ask you about what you're concerned about with the team. Obviously, there have been some starting pitching injuries with your team and many others. I mean, we've seen Ahini. we got to wait for May, see what's going on with him. Obviously, Kershaw has been in and out to some degree, still one of the best pitchers when he's uh, healthy. And, uh, you know, from a distance, at least, Kimbrell has not really been himself either. What What's really on your mind right now? What, what do the Dodgers need to worry about or improve? And obviously, you know, Walker Buehler was our ace this year. And, right. and so to hope to get him back in September is, is we're hoping. But I think for me, uh, John, I, I think I make it a point. It's very intentional that I don't overtly talk about things like that. Obviously, this forum, our conversation right here, I think it's more of, you know, I hope we don't lose any more pitching. I think we do a really good job. And Joe, you mentioned it as far as the consistencies of our of our ball club over the years. And that's something I'm really proud of because every year teams go through adversity, but we still find a way to essentially average close to 100 wins a year. And I expect us to do it again. And I think uh, looking out, looking forward and sort of that 
trite, next man up mentality. That's what I do believe in. I think that once we lost Mookie Betts, the offense clicked up as far as the focus. And, you know, you lose Walker, you lose guys in the pen. And Tony Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson, Julio Urias stepped up, hit the last four starts, and uh, we got Clayton back. So guys pick up the slack. And I think that that mindset is very healthy. And it's the only way to look at it. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Mookie Betts. I, right now, you're missing your best starting pitcher, Bueller. You say you're hoping to get him back in September. Betts is your best everyday player. When are you hoping to get him back? Because, I, I, again, I was reading some coverage from your team. It seemed like he is not real close right at this moment. Uh, he's going to start baseball activities uh, tomorrow, uh, which is Wednesday. So it, it's probably a week to 10 days uh, at best. You know, we were hoping, obviously, it's a disappointing loss. We were hoping to get him back by the San Diego series. Uh, that's not going to happen. But we just need to get Mookie back uh, feeling good, healthy, because certainly uh, when he's in there, he's electric. He's just such a fun player, and I'm just so fortunate to get to watch him and, you know, put him and Trey Turner behind him with Freddie Freeman. It's an electric lineup. It's fun. That um, return by Freddie Freeman to Atlanta was very emotional for him, obviously, and for the fans. And uh, I just thought it was interesting to see um, how upset he seems to be or how much he misses Atlanta. And others noticed it as well. Obviously, uh, Clayton Kershaw made a comment about it afterwards, saying, talking about Freeman. Kershaw said, I think whenever he gets comfortable over here, he'll really enjoy it. What have you seen from Freddie? I mean, I love L.A. myself. I'd go there. I can't play, and I'm not going to help you. I mean, he's obviously one of the best 10 players in baseball. He's performing for you, as you'd expect. He's been great. I've seen a lot of your games. He's good defensively. He's obviously hitting around 300. Does he seem uncomfortable to you? And, uh, I mean, is this an issue at this point? I think um, I use the word resolution. I know Freddie doesn't like the word closure. And I, and I think that that's uh, reasonable in the sense that he spent 15 years in the organization, 12 in the big leagues, you know, pouring his heart and soul into the ball club, the organization, the fans uh, and family, too. And he raised his kids there. And so uh, for me, I am very sympathetic towards that. And and honestly, guys, I love a person as I really try to pride myself on getting better each year, each day um, of being transparent. And Freddie is emotional. He wears his emotions on his sleeves. Uh, we're all different. You uh, East Coasters are a lot more uh, tough and don't show your emotions, <laughs> you guys. Hey, but Joe you know what? Is. Freddie is a West Coaster, man. And that's okay. For me, he's honest and it, about his feelings. It hasn't obviously affected his performance with the Dodgers. Uh, he plays to win. He's a pro. But I don't think that you can compare Atlanta to Los Angeles right now. The sample is not even close. So for me, I think Clayton said something a little tongue-in-cheek took a little out of context. I know that they're good. Um, they're two of uh, my favorites, and uh, they're going to help us uh, you know, win a lot of ball games this year. Dave, as a tough New Yorker, I'm going to cry at the end of this interview. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you guys cry on the inside, believe me. <laughs> it's, it's a crying on the inside clown. Cody Bellinger wins the National League MVP in 2019, and it really hasn't been good since then. Interestingly, literally over the last two seasons, he's played exactly 162 games as we, we're speaking here. He has a 593 OPS. He has just 19 homers. Where has Cody Bellinger gone and is he ever coming back? Okay. First of all, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, to win a, uh, an MVP, everything's got to line up. 
you know, unless you're Mike Trout. It was a special year 2019 for Cody. Is he ever going to get to that caliber? That's a question the only time will tell. I think that having never come close to winning a most valuable player, I don't know what it's like to try to chase something that you had already achieved. And you don't understand why you can't be that type of performer consistently. I live in real time and I've had many conversations with Cody that we've got to find a way to get past that and deal in in the now and understand the player you are right now. And for me, I don't see him as that guy intentionally trying to hit homers and slug. I see him as a guy that needs to dominate center field, uh, that needs to value the walk that needs to use the entire baseball field to hit in the middle to the bottom of the order to continue to pass the baton. And if he can do that, he can help us win a lot of ball games and also drive runs in. So that's something that a player, their own cross to bear. So uh, I, I know I kind of circled around that question, but I don't know that answer. I mean, only time will tell, but I do believe that when his head is right, the mindset is right, he can be a very consistent performer like he was last year in the postseason with like, I think, a 900 OPS. Dave, if I could just follow up on that, because you're an expert on the two things about Cody Bellinger, which is you're a baseball expert, the swing, and you're around him all the time. You mentioned his mental aspect. I mean, do you see a guy whose swing and mental aspect are far off now and he can't get back to what it was? Or do you think those things can align again, not to be an MVP, but, you know, you mentioned middle to the bottom of the lineup. Can he be a fifth, sixth place hitter, quality fifth, sixth place hitter? Because we know he gives you the other stuff, defense, base running. I mean, he's a, one of the better athletes in the sport. You're an expert on the two in the items and on Cody Bellinger. Do you think it's retrievable? If Cody is of the mind to be an on-base machine, a run producer, a doubles machine, I think he can get back to being as productive a player as he would hope to be, which would considerably make us a much better ball club. I think that there's certainly some mechanic point. Last year, he was uh, definitely bothered by the shoulder injury, which is real. But I do think that the consistent intent approach hasn't been there. Freddie Freeman is a prime example of a person that uh, even when it's not great, you can still be a productive major league hitter. And that's, you know, I think that that's what we need from him. You know, uh, you're on pace now. We, we talked about all your, the faults of your team. You're on pace for 101 wins. You averaged 101 wins over your career. So you're right on pace. At the beginning of the year, I think, um, and we weren't sure we were going to have baseball at this moment, but you um, guaranteed the World Series for the Dodgers. So I, I should check back with you. Um, at this moment, and we've got a man in here, a producer wearing a Yankee cap, so he reminds me that uh, the Yankees have been the best team to this point. Do you still guarantee, you still feel like uh, the Dodgers are the best team and are going to win the World Series? I, I, I'm not going to back go back on that comment. I, I think that that's the standard that we set for ourselves, and there's not a person that doesn't feel that way, expect that from our ball club. The caveat was keeping our pitching healthy. You know, to that statement, I, I did say that, and I really mean it, and pitching wins championships. Yankees have been the best team all year uh, up to this point. Um, I'm very happy for Booney and what they're doing over there. For us, we've got to continue to get better. It's about getting our guys playing the best baseball at the right time. And like I said, we've talked about 
you know, earlier is I think our best baseball is ahead of us. So to make my words come true, uh, let's get our guys back to being healthy. And and then it's my job, it's our job to go out there and play our best baseball at the right point in time to make my words come to fruition. Dave, you mentioned that the best is ahead of you. So why don't I wrap up uh, asking this? Uh, you know, you've also lost Daniel Hudson for the season. He was a key setup guy. Blake Trinan is a guy who's not there. Your best starter, Bueller, your best everyday player, bets. Why do you think your best baseball is ahead of you? I just think that the run prevention side, I would say that's more on the offensive side, I guess, uh, because we've really cleaned a lot of things up defensively. We're catching the baseball. Run prevention, albeit without a lot of names that you guys have mentioned, we're preventing runs. And I just think that the offense to kind of have that team external focus uh, to win a ball game, we haven't had that consistently. Uh, at times we've shown it um, and other times we haven't. And so once we kind of get that supplant and get that dialed in, uh, it's going to be really consistent run production from our club and which will equate to, to more consistent wins. Dave, we've talked a lot about the 2022 Dodgers today. I'm going to ask you a question about the 2004 Red Sox. We have our man here with our Yankee cap on. He's shaking his head. He's not happy with me. He is not happy at all. Andrew Hart's uh, very upset about this. But I've got to ask you, what do you recall? The stolen base was the key to that comeback. What I remember is I think the previous game when the Yankees made it three to nothing, it was like 18 to seven or something like that. The Yankees had won the game. And I I remember seeing A-Rod in the stands and I said to him, oh, you guys got this for some stupid comment like that. And he said, I, uh, you never know in baseball. And uh, I mean, that stolen base uh, was really the key. What do you recall about it? Why did you, was it a signal? Why did you go? And uh, it was close at second, but you were, you were in there. What, what do you remember about it? Well, first off, I just want to apologize to little Andrew for breaking up <laughs> uh, in October. You know, um, I know he's probably scarred for life, but, uh, you know, my apologies, Andrew. I, I think with that ball club, John, it, which, what was remarkable is that everyone knew their roles. That was something that was pretty unique. I got traded over there late at the deadline and from a first place team to then being a role player. And I embrace that. And so it's one of those situations that Terry Francona defined my role that any big spot to pinch run for essentially anybody, you know, not named Johnny Damon, you're going to run and, you know, try to impact the game. And so the sacrifice button was on and I waved off uh, Dale Swen, the third base coach. And I give Tito all the credit because uh, they took off the bunt sign from uh, Bill Miller. Uh, Lynn Jones, my first base coach, said, all right, kid, do what you do. And so it was one of those things that that was my role. And uh, I was ready. I was watching video. Uh, I saw Mo in September in Yankee Stadium. I knew he was going to hold the baseball uh, if there was ever an encounter again with us two. And so that's exactly what he did. Uh, after the third throwover, I was prepared. And uh, it's one of those you got to kind of put your, you know, four-letter word out there sometimes and see what happens. And I put him out there. I'm just very grateful because I was on a great team. I had a great manager, great organization, and I had an opportunity and I wasn't afraid to fail. You know, sports fans always look to one moment uh, as, a, as a defining moment, a, a change of the tide and a spark. And that was it. And so it's something I never take for granted. We had a cast of superstars and I played a little part in it. And uh, like I said, Andrew, I'm sorry, but uh, (laughs) I'll do the same thing all over again, my man. There's nothing better than beating the Yankees. So sorry, John. (laughs) 
Well, I'm fine. I'm okay with it. It's Andrew. <laughs> we'll see if you're on a collision course to having to beat the Yankees in October. Yeah. I'm go- so glad John asked that question 5.7 miles away from Yankee Stadium, so we have to fight our way out of here today. John and I, I know we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You're a coach for the All-Star Game, and you mentioned the word uh, appreciation as part of your last answer. You were our first guest ever on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. We have nothing but appreciation for you, Dave Roberts. Thank you, Dave. You know what? Thank you guys so much. And my last words, guys, and I just really want to say this is you guys are two men that I really respect because you really love players. You really love the game. And that's something that I just really applaud you guys because it's such a great game, the greatest game ever created. And I don't want to lose that. And you guys are just really great caretakers of our game. And I'm really thankful for you, too. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much. We'll be back to wrap up and look ahead on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Thank you for listening to the show, our baseball podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz for producing the show. And it wasn't an easy one this week with guests. They did a great job, as they always do. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and write in a nice review for us on Apple You can follow John Heyman on Twitter. It's at John Heyman. I'm at Joel Sherman one. John, we just talked to Dave Roberts. They're in first place as we're talking. There's a four game series this weekend. Padres at the Dodgers. That should be real interesting. He told us he still thinks his team is a championship team. Do you think his team is still a championship team? Yeah, I do. I I believe in him. I picked them at the beginning of the year, as I often do. Uh, He's a terrific manager. He's a terrific guest, as you just heard. You know, I think they have the best team in the National League, at least. So I think they're going to hang on. San Diego is pretty tough, though. Got good pitching, particularly uh, starting pitching. But the Dodgers, with all the bumps that we've seen this year, I still feel like they're, they're the best team in the National League. You know, this is a team that over the last few years, John, has acquired at the deadline. Hugh Darvish, Manny Machado, Trey Turner, Max Scherzer. They'll get what they need. They have a strong farm system. Their front office, led by Andrew Friedman, is excellent. Their core is still a championship core until somebody knocks them out right. in the NL West. They'll spend, too. Yes, and they'll spend, as we see. They'll probably be the first ones over $300 million, beat the Mets there with all the talk about the it's Steve Cohen tax. It's a race. We're getting closer to that trade deadline, and I'm sure we'll tackle that and much more. Listen to us every Tuesday on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman.